Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining us on this daily edition, Monday through Friday. If you've uh, enjoyed the podcast, please share it on Instagram. That helps us get the word out. And if you tag us, we'll add it to our story as well. It's funny how that works. You guys are awesome. So we're going to talk today about answering the call of God. You know, there's what to do in between the time that you receive your call from God and when you step into it. Um, There's some people who the time is quicker. You look at the Apostle Paul and he was traveling uh, on the road to Damascus and he has this encounter with Jesus and he's going to persecute the church and he has this encounter with Jesus and he the, uh, the Lord goes to uh, tells him to go wait in the city, and then um, uh, this guy comes and lays hands on him, and he receives his sight back, and then he's called to the ministry. And it's within a few days he's in the synagogues, instead of persecuting the Christian church, now preaching about the uh, this new way, right, about being a Christian. And so we see for him it's was a pretty quick turnaround time. He had a great foundation in the Word of God, the Old Covenant, and when his eyes were illuminated to Jesus being the Messiah and how he fulfilled prophecy, there was no time wasted. For me, I was called to the full-time ministry five days before my eighth birthday. Um, And going into full-time, I started preaching years ago, but going into full-time ministry was this year, was January 1st, became an associate pastor. uh, So that was full-time. But so what happens in that 25 years in between uh, the call and, um, and not that I'm uh, fulfilled the call, but, but stepping into what I've seen in my heart all along. There's a, um, uh, a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to read from verse 2, and it says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murders and burned up their city. Then said he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore unto the highways, and as many as you as you shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there was a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he says unto him, Friend, how came you in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. There's a lot packed into this parable. Uh, It's a picture of how the Jews rejected Jesus. And then those are the ones. And then the remnant slayed them and the prophets as well. So we look all through the Old Testament, but it was the Jewish people who killed their own prophets, right? And so we're seeing this all the way up to the Messiah. It was the Jewish people that killed Jesus. And so we see this, how he goes, calls to his friends, and they make light of the the marriage ceremony where, where the chosen Messiah that they've been waiting on since the book of Je- since Genesis three verse fifteen, the first prophecy of the Messiah after the fall of of man was about this Messiah that would come and would bruise the head of the serpent, and um, they rejected him. And he said, so then he sends his servants to go out 
and to compel anybody. And so this is a picture of now the Gentiles be welcomed into the family of God by salvation. And then they come, and then there's someone who doesn't have a wedding garment. And so we see people who show up, but they're not wearing a wedding garment. And then that final famous verse, verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. You know, people use that in regards to the ministry, and it's true, but this is talking about salvation. God calls many people. God has the gospel net is cast out. And many people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian and I'm going to show up, don't show up wearing the right garments. What are those garments? Those garments are purity. Those garments are are obedience. They think grace covers everything and you can do whatever you want, continue to do whatever you want. But that's someone showing up. Garments in 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 the book of Revelation, when it explains who, you know, what Jesus is wearing, or what the saints are wearing, it's always a white linen garment. It shows purity. So when someone's not wearing their wedding garment, their garment that's dressed appropriately, there are people who call themselves Christians, but they're not dressed appropriately for their, uh, for their marriage with the king for this wedding feast, right? This time is coming and they're not dressed appropriately. They, they think lightly of it. And so, but then that final verse for us looking at the ministry, we look at this verse and it's many are called, but few are chosen. And we can almost think like, hey, there's somehow this selection process that God looks and says, well, I'm calling these, but really I'm only choosing these. But really whether we're chosen or not is up to us. I heard someone say many are called, but few choose. And that's that's part of it, but it, it is many are called, but few are chosen. But there's what you do in between the time of the call and when God, uh, when you qualify to answer the call. If I said, hey, in November, we're going to run a marathon, there would be a process that you would go into to get prepared for that time. You know, for me, I'm running three times a week now. We do five or six miles each time, and then once a week we stretch it. We do nine or ten, but it's a process. I wasn't running nine miles three months ago, but because I'm training for a 13-mile run, I'm upping, I'm, I'm behaving according to the event, and it's no different in eternity. We behave according to the event. You shouldn't see your life in light of uh, I want to, what I'm going to, how I can retire at 65. That shouldn't be what you look at. You know, there's different ways to look at life. There's the short term. Those are the people who just live for pleasure. And so they waste their money. They don't save. They don't make the right decisions. They don't even look at their, there's a lot of people who don't even look five years ahead to their life and say, man, I'd like to be in a house. I'd like to have no debt. I'd like to have a vehicle. I'd like to be set up. I'd like to whatever. They don't even look that far ahead. There's a generation that just as cares about pleasure, right? And so for some people, the fact that you would look and make decisions in your 20s, you'd make decisions for your 60s is commendable, right? But ultimately, and I believe there's stewardship from the Lord that requires that, but ultimately our decisions are made far beyond that. Our decisions are made in light of eternity. When I stand before God, what am I, um, what, do, what am I, I want to make my decisions based on that day. I heard C.S. Lewis say something that too many people, it's like trying for a woman and it's like trying on a dress, uh, under the electric lights of the store, right? So you try the dress on at the store, but the lights are one way. And so it looks one way, but when you get out in the light of the sun, the dress looks diff- different. And he said, don't make your decisions based on the electric lights of, of this day and age, base them in light of the son of God, make them based, make your decisions with that light in view. Right. And, and powerful analogy <laughs> from, from, uh, one of the greatest writers, but, uh, we make those decisions 
but there's a process for us, whether God has called you to the full-time ministry or business or government or some area of influence. He's called you to something. What is your job during that? Prophecies don't just happen. You know, we could uh, we talk a little bit about the sovereignty of God, where people have this understanding of like, hey, whatever God wants happens. And on a grand scale, yes, what we've read in Revelation will happen, right? It is going to happen. Um, but the, what is still up for question is who, what happens on an individual basis, individual uh, uh, basis, is if you going to heaven is not up to God. He casted, he cast his vote for your f- in, uh, favor. I love this line, you know, God voted for you, the devil voted against you, and you make that you cast the deciding vote. But whether or not you go to heaven is not just decided before time. Um, it's it's known by God before time, but it isn't a decision that he made. So anything we see in the Bible about many are called, but few are chosen. It's that God calls. There's a time available to answer the call. And then God looks to see, did they prepare so I can choose them? There's a a great uh, story in the Old Testament that shows this perfectly. It's Judges chapter seven, and it's about Gideon. And it, um, there were, uh, and the Lord said unto Gideon, so I'll read from verse one. Then let me read from the NLT. So it'll come across a little better. So Gideon and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of him in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. The, all the others got down on their knees and drank with their, with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. Um, Pretty interesting, but here you have 32,000 warriors. And he says, God says, there's too many because they'll take credit for it. So I want there to be less. And that's why you see men and women of God who God uses, like you look at Reinhard Bonko, God uses to have 72 million lifetime decisions. And I believe that the Lord wants to use more people. I believe there's, the Bible says the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That doesn't mean that the Lord has called too few people. It means too few people have prepared enough to be able to answer that call. And so uh, we see here that the first step is willingness. You know, there came a point in my life, and I remember where I was standing, where it dawned on me that I have to be willing to preach the gospel, to preach the gospel. I almost saw it when I was younger, like, oh, I'm going to preach the gospel no matter what, where that's not the case. If I don't agree with the word and move forward and cooperate with God in this call, I'm not going to see anything come of it. The Bible says, if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. God is looking for people who are both willing and obedient, but there has to be a willingness. Some people are obedient, but not willing. And man, that, that's something that should cover you in all areas. If you're obedient to go to church, but you're not willing, you're not like, you don't do it joyfully. The Bible says if you, if you, if you don't serve the Lord with gladness, that it, it's, it's in the book of Deuteronomy. It says, 
the curses will come on you if you don't serve the Lord with gladness. There needs to be a revelation of, man, it isn't that we have to serve the Lord. We get to serve the Lord. Serving God is awesome, man. There's no higher calling. There's no greater thing on planet earth. You as a Christian are richer than the richest person on planet earth because you have eternal life. Would you honestly trade right now eternity in hell, the reality of eternity in hell for a hundred million dollars, knowing that hell is real. If someone came up and said, here's a hundred million dollars, but you're going to hell by taking this. Would anyone actually take that knowing that hell is real? Is there, is there no one who in hell today that if they could go back and do something different to make it to heaven and not be in that eternal torture that wouldn't? Serving God is a privilege. And it's not just keeping out of hell. It's that we have eternal life. We're not going to get dive into this too much. We're talking about answering the call and I've got to wrap it up here. But there's some things on your side. So number one is if you're a Christian and you've been called to the ministry is preparation in the word. The first thing is a willingness, but preparation in the word study to show yourself approved. The Bible says rightly dividing the word of truth. There needs to be a willingness. We also need to follow the Holy Holy Ghost and obey. God has steps for us to take and some of them difficult for us. It was this last year, it was coming out of business, making a comfortable income, a good income, what we would be considered top, I know at least 5% of the nation in income and making good money to step into the ministry. Why? Because man, money's not everything. Money is important, but what's more important is that is answering the call of God. And I know that God takes care of me. I didn't see the money that I was making in business as something that I got on myself. It was God who called me to be there for my training and provided. If I stayed, as a matter of fact, if I stayed in sales outside of the will of God, when the time to move on, the the money would actually dwindle because I'm no longer in the service of the Lord. I've, I've stepped off of his path for my life. So willingness, follow the Holy Ghost. And then the, I think the biggest thing is do what's in front of you 100%. Looking back, it's one of the things that sales taught me is that God gives you something to do. And a lot of time it's preparation. But if you're not willing to give 100% working at Chick-fil-A, if you're not willing to give 100% working a desk job, working in valet, doing something you may not like to do in Bible school, doing something where what Whatever it is, if you're not willing to give 100%, do you think promotion is going to come that God's going to promote you just because, oh, you've been there for long enough? If you go through Bible school and you're in Bible school and you don't give 100%, you're a person who crams your books and doesn't remember any of them. You know, the purpose of required reading isn't so that you just get a book done. It's that you have that book in your heart. Many of the books that I read through Bible school, I'm going back and reading now because I need greater revelation in these areas. These are things that can help you. This is a course that's set up to help you become more of an impact in the nations. And so God has called you to be faithful with where you're at. Willingness to go to answer the call and then faithfulness for where you're at. God wants to promote you. He wants to use you. It's his call. He's, he's, he delights in the prosperity of his servant. He wants to take care of you, wants to bless you. But a hundred percent effort in what you're doing, I would say is, is if not the biggest, one of the biggest things that you can do, obviously keeping your heart right, keeping sin out of your life. That's a big one. I'm so glad the Lord helped me when I was a teenager coming into my early twenties to kick sin habits out of my life. You have to fight ruthlessly and look at it, not like sin's this light thing, but this is something that's trying to kill you 
The devil has no other intentions with you than to kill you and, and ruin God's plan for your life. And his only open door is sin. And so you have to go after those things to eradicate your life, sin from your life to be able to answer the call of God. What is it that God has put, 100%, uh, put in front of you? Are you doing it 100%? If you can't answer yes to that question, today is a day for change. Make a decision before God. God, help me to be 100%. Write down. This is how you can know you're a 100% employee. If you ask yourself, if you own that business, what type of employee would you want? And then you be that employee. And that's 100%. I love you. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks for joining us.